This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. Repentance means to change the mind. It means to change your life around and not live that way any longer. Repent before Christ and accept Him as Lord and personal Savior. Repentance is actually not being taught in churches nowadays. But that was the very first word that our Messiah, Jesus Christ, spoke when He began His ministry. He said, repent. The very first word. It was the word that He's been waiting to say for thousands of years. And when He came on earth, He said, repent. When Jesus came, he came preaching a message of repentance. Oftentimes, when we think of the word repent, it comes with a negative connotation. In today's message, Pastor Eddie will be sharing about this word and what it actually means. Repent means to change your mind on how you think about something. This was the message that Jesus spread when it came to the kingdom of God. Repentance is not a one-time action. It is a daily action. Well, Let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 as he begins his message, Perilous Times in Perilous Men. We find ourselves in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Okay, well, in our last study, we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 2, we looked at verses 14 to 26, and in that passage, we looked at the unashamed worker, studying showed yourself approved to God. It's speaking about servants, believers in Jesus Christ, a vessel of honor. We want to be a vessel of honor to the Lord, and we want to be a gentle servant. How are we to be gentle? Is by encouraging one another. There's an agreement or disagreement, let's talk about it, Uh, let's share the truth of the gospel uh, to those who uh, probably don't understand the gospel fully. And so that brings us to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9. Verses 1 through 9. And so let us go before the Lord of prayer as we read our text and study it. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that we are able to gather together to assemble, Lord. Many countries, uh, this is not allowed. It's not possible. Many would be arrested. And we know many of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in these countries that are being arrested and put into prison and being persecuted because they can assemble in the house of God. They can't, that is. But Lord, we are so honored that in our nation uh, that we can gather together and assemble and glorify you and ultimately, Lord, to grow in you and to honor you with our lives. So Lord, as we look at this text before us, we know there will be perilous times coming and we're actually living in those times. Um, But Lord, we ask that you, Lord, would just open up our eyes that we can see what is written for us in your word. Open up our ears that we can hear and, and our minds to understand and ultimately a heart ready to receive what your word has for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Paul writes, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers 
of themselves, lovers of money, bolsters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captive of gullible women loaded down with sins, led by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of faith. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so does these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt mind disapprove concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly would be manifested to all as theirs also was. In chapter 2, we ended with the Apostle Paul reminding Timothy about false teachers who oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, the devil is active, taking them captive to do his will. And we see that at the end of chapter 2, verse 26, where Paul says that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Now, The passage before us, Paul wants Timothy to understand that the wickedness and evil that he is facing is not something that will soon pass or that these are things will eventually get easier. Matter of fact, it will get more difficult. Christian life and ministry is living out in the midst of trouble. As a matter of fact, what it does is it brings trouble. It brings trouble. And we look at the life of Jesus doing his earthly ministry. As he got closer to the cross, it became more difficult for him to do ministry, but he succeeded because he had the, he was Jesus Christ and he's the son of God. But it ultimately led to his crucifixion. And so it's the same with us. You know, as we live for Christ, we live uh, to glorify him, and things are not going to get any easier. But because Jesus rose to victory, we celebrate it every day. Uh, We're the evidence of the work of the cross, every single one of us. This is grace. And because Jesus' uh, death on the cross, you and I, we can receive life, life more abundantly, joy, everlasting joy, victory, and everlasting lasting life and so we are his children we are the bride of christ now in chapter 3 verses 1 through 9 contains further warning about false teachers further warning about false teachers for those of you who are taking notes in verse 1 paul will warn us about perilous times perilous time that's in verse 1 in verses 2 through 9 paul will warn us about perilous men Perilous men. Who are they? They are these false teachers. False teachers. But before we move on, um, let's look at this word in the Greek, perilous. Perilous time is in the Greek. It's the Greek word kaloepos. 
And it means fierce, it means savage, it means violent, it means dangerous. This word is only used two times in the entire New Testament. Here in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1, also in Matthew chapter 8 verse 28, and that gives us the story, if you remember when Jesus went to the other side of Galilee to a place called Gadara, and he came across two demon-possessed men, two demon-possessed men who actually uh, lived in the, the tombs. But the Bible describes these men as exceedingly fierce. And though they don't use the word perilous, it is the same Greek word we're looking at today. And it talks about something that's fierce, violent, dangerous. And so he's speaking about a time that is coming. So let's look at verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Paul begins by saying, but know this. But know this, Paul is calling Timothy's attention, special attention to warn him about these times, about these false teachers. And Paul is not saying anything that Timothy doesn't already know. As a matter of fact, during all his ministry, Timothy has been a son of faith to Paul, and he saw a lot. That is the reason why Timothy was sent to the church of Ephesus, if you remember. This is in a pastoral epistle with 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. But we saw that when we studied 1 Timothy, that Paul has sent Timothy to Ephesus to kind of straighten out a lot of the false teachers and a lot of, you know, people that were being deceived. People actually walked away from faith because of these false teachers. That's why it's dangerous. So he wants Timothy to be fully aware. And it, again, it's not something new. And quite often we think that when we to learn and grow, we always need to learn something new. But that is not the case. But it comes mostly by reminder of things we already know. And that's why the Bible is always reminding things that we already know. And that's how we grow and learn. So Paul says, but know this. That in the last days, perilous time will come. The last days, perilous time will come. Now, the phrase, the last days, is used quite frequently, but I don't think many people understand what is this time frame between with the last days. It's mentioned 12 times in the New Testament. It's a time frame that began back at the day of Pentecost. Back in the day of Pentecost, if you remember, that's almost 2,000 years ago. You remember the day of Pentecost when Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem until the promise of the Holy Spirit comes. And when he comes, then the Holy Spirit was upon them. The church was birthed and they began to flourish and grow. And guess what? Here we are today. Here we are today. Don't take this lightly. Our birth, our history began 2,000 years ago. In Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Okay? So it began there. And if you remember when the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit was poured on to the early church in the upper room while they were praying, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They began to speak in tongues of different languages. And then Peter had to come out and kind of give an explanation, but he was filled by the Holy Spirit. And you would think someone like Peter, who denied Jesus three times, he always, you know, foot and mouth Peter. He's the guy that's always getting in trouble with his mouth, you know. And all of a sudden, the Lord uses him. See, just to, just to prove to you that God could use anybody, okay. 
mostly evidence of that. So in the last day, what happened? What did Peter say? We find that in Acts chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. I recommend you read the whole chapter. But anyway, it says this. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. There was a prophecy by prophet Joel back in the book of Joel. And it says, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. This took place on the day of Pentecost. It was fulfilled. It was fulfilled. So the last days began 2,000 years ago, almost 2,000 years ago at the birth of the church, the day of Pentecost, and it will continue on. It will continue on to the second coming of Christ when Christ comes to rule and reign with his bride, with the saints, with you and I. We're coming back to rule and reign with Christ. So that's the last days from the day of Pentecost to the day when Christ comes again, his second coming, when he would uh, rule and reign with the church, okay? Now, here's where the time frame actually is cut short. Because you love the Lord, and because you're saved, because you're born again, uh, you get special treatment. You know, when you go to an amusement park and you got a special pass, oh, here's a good one. I love this one, Sam's Club. You're part of the club, you get to go in an hour earlier, you know? I like that. But anyway... The last days ends for you and I, believers in Christ, not at the second coming, though it would end at the second coming of Christ. It'll end as soon as we're raptured. You see, as soon as you have the day of the birth of the church, the day of Pentecost, you have the rapture, you and I, it'll end. That's where the last days will end for us, because right there, it's going to be seven years of great tribulation. That's going to continue on. That's the last days. But while there's seven years of great tribulation happening here on earth, we're going to have a seven-year honeymoon with Jesus Christ. We're going to see everything from the vestibule, so you're not going to be in the dark. You're going to see everything, and then we're going to come back with Jesus. It's going to be beautiful. So that's the last days, okay? So when people say we're in the last days, we always we were 2,000 years ago. <laughs> is it getting worse? Absolutely. Absolutely. Sin is the same. The heart of man is the same. But the good thing is the word of God is the same. God is the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his promises he will keep. And so, the last days, uh, we're talking about perilous times. It's going to be savage. It's going to be violent. It's going to be dangerous. Okay? And so, Paul tells Timothy that it will come. It's going to come. Now, when Paul says it's going to come, he's not eliminating the fact that the church took birth, you know, just a couple of 30 years or 40 years ago. Okay? He's just saying it's going to keep coming. It's going to keep coming, and it's going to get worse, as a matter of fact. It's going to get worse. Drop down to verse 13. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. It says, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. When it's a double, that means it's serious. It's going to get worse. That's the emphasis because, you know, when you write something, you teach it, so you don't have to. But we write it anyway to elaborate, right, and just to give emphasis. But it wasn't like that in the Aramaic or in the Greek. It just wants, hey, if it gives you two words, that means it's going to come. Just like the word, whoa, whoa, is that written in the Bible? You better believe it's going to be a whoa, okay? And so, now, I don't have to tell you how bad things are getting, by the way. I mean, we see it. You look at the news. I can only imagine what my grandparents or my great-grandparents or my great-great-great-great-grandparents would say if they would turn on the TV today 
and, and see the programs that are on TV, to see even the commercials and the news. I mean, we're shocked. Can you imagine the generation before us and the generation before that? There has to be a level because every generation would say, well, mom and dad, when you were young, right, you did so and so, so. When you were young, you know, you kind of rebelled a little bit. When you were young, you kind of dressed hip. But, you know, there has to be a level. There has to be a cutoff point. How far can we go? Well, we've already gone. We've been beyond. We surpassed that. We're morally bankrupt. Whatever is right and good, it's bad and wrong. And whatever is, whatever is bad and wrong is good. And so, you know, it's going to get worse. But we're still in the last days. And the last days will end for those who have been born again. Not because you believe in Jesus. Okay? I mean, it's beyond just knowing Jesus and saying you're Christian by name or because you were born into a Christian family. You must be born again. You must, there has to be a repentance. And a lot of the gospel is being preached without repentance. You got to be told that you were a sinner and that you need Jesus. You need repentance. In other words, you need a, repentance means to change the mind. It means to change your life around and not live that way any longer. Repent before Christ and accept him as Lord and personal Savior. Repentance is actually not being taught in churches nowadays. But that was the very first word that our Messiah, Jesus Christ, spoke when he began his ministry. He said, repent. The very first word. It was the word that he's been waiting to say for thousands of years. And when he came on earth, he said, repent. That word has been erased on pulpits. It's been erased in many churches. And that's why there are people who don't really know whether or not they're, you know, they really had a proper Christian birth. It's biblical. You must repent. Repent of your sins. Accept Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior. So, in the last days, that would be perilous times. That's in verse 1. And the Word of God warns us that perilous times, we're living in it, and we're going to continue on until the rapture. It's not going to get any better. And it doesn't matter who you're voting for. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter because it's not who's in the White House or who's in the house of God. It's all about Jesus Christ. We pray. We do our best as Christians and vote based on moral values and say, okay, you know, obviously we're not voting for a minister or, you know, a Christian. But we vote for someone that fears God, at least. But it's not going to change. It's going to get worse. Now, perilous times, what does that happen? Perilous times will bring Perilous men, perilous men. And we're going to look at that in verses 2 to 9, verses 2 through verse 9. And perilous men are savage, they're violent, and they're dangerous. They're dangerous. And Paul is going to list for us 18 characteristics of a false teacher, of a perilous men. 18 characteristics. And so, First of all, let's look at the very first two words in verse 2 because it's important. We need to know who Paul is referring to when he says four men, okay? What men is he referring to? He says in verse 2, for men, and of course, we want to keep this in context. We want to keep it in context. Context is key. Context, context, context. So Paul is not referring to mankind in general, unsaved men. And although, yes, 
Uh, people who are unsaved, people who don't believe in Christ, the world they live in is simple. They live simply, and they and the following eighteen characteristics they are actually practicing every day. So they're sinning against God. Okay, that's not to say that we Christians are perfect by far. We're not. We're not better than sinners. We're just better off because we have Jesus Christ. There's a difference. However. Paul is referring to, and listen, he's referring to the leaders and teachers in the church. The leaders and teachers in the church who not only claim the name of Jesus, but also claim to be his pastors, his prophets, and his teachers. But they're not. Drop down to verse 5. We're keeping this in context. In verse 5, he says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. How many you know, how many of you have been in the body of Christ for a long time as I have? Uh, and again, there's a lot of them that look, that look holy, act holy, sound holy, religious, uh, but they reject the power that's in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power that's in God. And for their dangerous, perilous men. So, Let's look at these 18 characteristics that as Paul describes these perilous men. Number one, in verse two, it says, for men will be lovers of themselves. They will be lovers of themselves. They will be self-centered, narcissistic, <laughs> conceited, egotistical. So it's all about me, myself, and I. They show you a family picture and it's only a picture of them. <laughs> That's the kind of person they are. And that's who they are inside out. You know, interestingly that the Apostle Paul begins, he gives the first character is after the with self because the heart of man is corrupt, isn't it? The heart of man is corrupt. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And if a person loves and worships himself, obviously there's pride. Pride, and we're going to see some of the, the, the characteristics of pride as well. Now, know this. It goes without saying, you and I, every single one of us here, we don't need to be told to love ourselves. We don't need to be told that. We already do. And let me tell you, we live in a world where it's all about you, Right? I remember growing up with the, the magazines that used to be at the end caps of the supermarket. First, it was family. It was people. Then it went to family, and it came to we, and it came to me, and, it's, and it came to I, right? Those magazines, self, right? It all got centered. It's all self-centered. No more us. It's all about me. But you don't have to be told to love yourself. As a matter of fact, the devil is using the world to tell you, oh, you're the best. Oh, you, all you can be. All, you know, and you start talking to yourself in the mirror and they tell you, give yourself some affirmations. By golly, I'm so good. I'm so nice. I'm perfect. People love me, you know? And that's how they deceive you because they want you to glorify yourself. You don't have to be told that you love yourself because you already do. And the Bible proved that. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29. It says, For no one ever hates his own flesh, but what? But nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. I'm running the way. 
You've been listening to Running the Race with Pastor Eddie. Have you ever wondered why there are so many letters written in the New Testament? 1 Timothy is just one of many letters that gives you some insight into the ministry that was happening after the time that Jesus lived here on earth. There were struggles and there were successes, but you realize that as great as those missionaries and pastors were, they were also just human. They had strengths, weaknesses, discouragements, and moments of triumph. Isn't it great to know and to relate to people in the Bible? They're spiritual pillars in some ways, but you come to realize that they were people that God used, just like He can use you in this time and place. We're so glad you joined us today for Running the Race. If you're in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area, Jessica has an invitation for you. We'd love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel of Milford. We're conveniently located off Interstate 84 and Route 6. For service times and all the information you need, visit runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Back to Homepage button. While you're there, you can listen to this teaching again or explore more messages from Pastor Eddie. Again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks, Jessica. Once again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com. We hope you'll refer to our website for additional resources that include hearing these messages again or learning about the church behind the ministry. Join us again for another edition of Running the Race. I'm reaching